0: This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Ken Green, who goes by K, is a seed person. He's the co founder of the Hudson Valley Seed Library, which in 2004 became the first public library based seed lending library in the U.S. In 2008, he went on to co found with his partner Doug Muller the Hudson Valley Seed Company, a seed and art company focused on heirloom and open pollinated vegetable, flower, and herb seed. Both K and the Hudson Valley Seed Company are ever more interested in seed literacy, seed sovereignty, and cultural seed rematriation. They are devoted to sharing and supporting the cultural, agricultural, and ecological diversity of seed. Kay joins me today to delve into the long view and deep relationships born of the generosity of seed in our garden lives. Welcome.
1: Oh, I am so happy to be here and I love talking about seeds.
0: Think about your current work around seed and around plants and gardens and gardeners And you've been at this work a long time, but if you could distill down your current kind of organizing principle or motivating force about seed in your life or gardens in your life and kind of what gets you out of bed every morning in this work exactly right now, Kay, what would that be?
1: I guess for right now, when I think about seeds, I think about generosity And I think about mutual aid and mutual care, partly because that's come out of so much of the upheaval that we've been experiencing um, in the last few years across the globe. But plants are just so generous, especially when it comes to producing seed. One cucumber plant can and one cucumber from that plant produces more seeds than one person could ever need. For their own garden. So the plant is saying, pass on this generosity, sow this forward. And also the power that we all have in our backyards, our front yards, our stoops, our, our roofs to grow plants that can heal, that can feed, that can bring joy. So that generosity really leads to sustenance in our communities in a in a very, you know, in a way that we can really share that with so many people. I think that's where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah. Before we get into your personal further back history and what led you here, I'd love to have you describe for listeners kind of an abstract mission statement for uh, who and what Hudson Valley Seeds is today, uh, right now. And we'll get into the backstory later, but just kind of a distillation of what the company represents to you.
1: Yeah, Hudson Valley Seed Company, it's been through a lot. Hmm. I never thought we'd be in the moment we are now with this. Where we're at now is just this feeling that the Hudson Valley Seed Company is a community. And it's a bigger community than I ever would have imagined um, would happen from, from where we started. You know, I fell in love with seeds and I want other people to fall in love with seeds. And that's really, you know, more than trying to be a business and make money and, you know, have the latest, you know, varieties and all of that. Like, it's about helping people have meaningful relationships with seeds and fall in love with seeds so that they care. Care about where seeds come from, how they're grown, and think about what do what is the meaning of seeds in our lives? You know, what does it mean to plant a seed? It's a very heart-centered place, which I think is maybe a little bit unusual in the business world. Um, but for us, it's really it's really that that spark of love that can happen is the heart of of what we do, and everything else needs to fall into place around that.
0: I like that. And we will we will unpack that a lot uh, more <laughs> deeply as we move forward. But first, let's go back a little bit and share with us, if you will, where you were born and who were the people and places and plants that raised you into a human for which a, a heartfelt business <laughs> and being one around the you know, the importance of seeds would be your calling in life?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if you go way back, and especially if I've been born maybe in a different time, Mm. um, you know, adults in my life would have been like, okay, this child knows how to talk to plants and listen to plants. Let's, Let's put this child with someone who farms or gardens or grows in some way and just let that develop. Mm. Um, but that type of apprenticeship or village models of learning don't really exist for us in, you know, in the United States where we live. So I had to go through all kinds of other things like, you know, being an acrobat and being a special education teacher and, you know, just so many other things um, to get back to plants. Mm. And to return back to that and be like, oh, this, this could be a path for me. But it really took me by surprise. I wasn't actively choosing it. It, it was happening <laughs> to me in a way, you know, when I was at the library.
0: Yeah. So take us there because I know a little bit of the story, but most listeners won't. So this surprise moment where uh, you had been all these other pathways, you know, and I, I have this great Belief through years and years of these interviews, that the garden and the plants they find us when they're ready for us, like they find mm-hmm. us and they they bring us in. So, tell yeah. us about this moment when you um, begin on this part of your path, Kay.
1: So, I worked at an incredible little tiny town library in Gardner, New York. And I just love I was, that its name is Gardner. Yeah, Gardner, right? yeah, Gardner <laughs> not spelled like Gardner, but sounds like Gardner. Still. Yeah, amazing. You know, I was getting my master's in in special ed when I moved from California to New York and got this part-time job at the library, fell in love with the library, fell in love with the head librarian Peg Lotvin, who was just an incredible, incredible person who founded the library and wound up staying there after I finished my degree because I fell in love with the library system. You know, it's this incredible democratic institution that's a community center it's accessible to everyone there's just all this knowledge and art and beauty and story that's shared through the library there were a lot of farmers and farm interns who would come into the library and so we started having all kinds Mm. of conversations about you know local food and growing and we started getting more books for the library to support people's interests in gardening and farming so we did something called a local diet challenge through the library.
0: What year would have this been?
1: This was 2002 and it wasn't something that was happening, you know, even the lo- like the idea of local food wasn't something that was widespread mm-hmm. during this time. It was sort of the beginning of that consciousness and at least in our area. Yep. So we did this hundred mile diet challenge and people signed up and the idea was the library was the epicenter, and could you, how much food could you source within 100 miles of the library for the growing season? And at the end of the season, we had a gathering. Everyone shared. What could you find? What couldn't you find? Um, so it was really fun and interesting. We, the next year, we did a 30-mile diet challenge. And I knew that when we did that, it was going to be tough. Um, you know, and, you know, even the first year people were like, I miss my bananas. (laughs) I was like, you can do without bananas for four months. Like, really, you can handle it. Um, So the 30 mile diet challenge, we knew it was going to be really difficult, but we wanted to really know what was being produced in our immediate area. Mm -hmm. So then that meeting was, let's make a list. Here's all the things we could find. Here's all the things we couldn't find. From that list of things we couldn't find, are there opportunities where this could be grown locally or this could be made locally? Because some things like bananas, we're never going to grow in upstate New York, or at least in any kind of affordable way. Um, Right. So we were going through that list and I just said to the group, well, where do seeds come from? And everyone looked at each other and they were like, from the seed company that you buy it from. And I said, Well, where do those seeds come from? And none of us knew. Right. It all stopped with the name of the brand, the brand name of the seed company. So that got me on this path, you know, reading. You know, abusing the the interlibrary loan system, (laughs) getting as many books as I could. Um, And that's when I started learning about loss of genetic diversity, consolidation of seed resources by biotech and pharmaceutical, you know, just like this global situation. And then started learning about places like Seed Savers Exchange, which had been doing this kind of work of collecting and regenerating this large collection of seeds that were vulnerable to um, disappearing and thinking about their stories. And I was just kind of like, well, we we, we can do that. I'll, I'll start learning how to save seeds. I can be, you know, I can remove myself from this system that I think is toxic. Um, and then I was like, well, if we do this as a community, And everyone brings their seeds to the library. Then it works just like the books. You know, we're sharing knowledge. We're sharing stories. Whether it's the genetic story, which I kind of think of as nonfiction um, part, and then you know, romance, mythology, spirituality, it's all there. (laughs) Like any any genre of book you can think of, they're there are seed stories um, in that genre, and it was a hard sell. People were kind of like, what? Like, this seems weird. Why are there seeds in the library? Um, and so it took a lot of, you know, visiting garden clubs and talking to gardeners and talking to farmers. Um, and also because that was the first seed library in a public library right. in the country, and so I was reaching out to be like, I don't know how to do this. I'm not I, I'm not a seed grower, I, you know, I'm at the beginning of my learning. So the learning curve I'm experiencing is the learning curve everyone else right. is experiencing too. I am not an expert, um, but that, you know, story time was involved, like two-year-olds, you know, were growing purple peas with me, you know, all the way through our master gardener, you know, our local master gardeners who got involved. And that, you know, it just became my my passion to the point where I was like, oh, I can only work four days at the library now because I need more time with the seeds. And then I was down to one day at the library and the rest of my week growing seeds. And I was like, okay, maybe it's time to quit <laughs> my job and see if this can be my life. And luckily, my partner, Doug. Muller was also excited about it and he quit his job and we very naively jumped into being seed farmers and starting a seed company.
0: This is Cultivating Place. Ken Green is the co-founder of Hudson Valley Seed Company. We'll be right back with Kay when he shares more about the inspirations behind the original Hudson Valley Seed Library in Gardner, New York. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. In this world of ours, it can be so easy to fall into scarcity mindset, into fear mongering, into anger or anguish or bunkering ourselves off from the world and one another, because we feel as though for whatever reason or precipitating event, we have just had it. For me, this is exactly when I need to open, not close. When I need to go into my garden or onto my favorite trails and witness again the amazing immensity of the world and her many gifts to us. It is exactly when I need to look to my plants for their lessons. And there are so many, so many generosity being among them. This week I decided we could all use a little more generosity and I knew Kay Green would be an insightful voice to add and to help soothe our inner and outer turmoil and to remind us to think bigger through the perspective of some of the smallest among us, the seeds. I love this quote from Kay. Generosity leads to sustenance for the community. Take sustenance and perspective and fortitude from this generous conversation with Kay Green and Seeds. For the work ahead toward a world of support, compassion and justice, we will all need to plant many healthy, hearty, happy seeds and tend to them as lovingly and as long as we are able. That's what gardeners do. We're back now to our conversation with Kay Green, co-founder with his partner Doug Muller of the Hudson Valley Seed Company, which was born out of Green's 2004 co-founding of the Hudson Valley Seed Library, the first U.S.-based seed lending library in a public library. As we come back, Kay shares more about how the Seed Library idea was inspired by similar models already at work through Iowa-based Seed Savers Exchange and in the Bay Area as well.
1: So one of the interns that was coming into the library, Sasha de Bruel, had started something with a bunch of other people in the Bay Area called Basil, the Bay Area Seed Interchange Library. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was part of the inspiration. They weren't in a public library, but they were doing a a local seed exchange where people were growing seeds and bringing them back. So I don't want to make it sound like, you know, the idea came out of nowhere. You know, Seed Savers Exchange was a huge inspiration. I became a member right away. I started getting the yearbook. The yearbook is just like this phenomenal resource where you go through and you can order seeds from anyone who's listed seeds um, in the yearbook. So there were amazing models out there, just none that were using the infrastructure of the public library system. Um, Yeah.
0: That little tweak to the traditional seed swap or, um, you know, seed exchange, which is millennia old and alive and well certainly in in my part of the the world which is has a strong agrarian facet to it but i will say that that little tweak that you made to this idea of putting it in the public library invited in a whole group of people who for a variety of reasons were no longer in the agrarian sphere mm-hmm. and so they they weren't you know like those Seed Savers Exchange is fabulous, but it is a little bit for the knowledgeable. Like you have to know it's there to go to it. Mm -hmm. Whereas you can be bringing your two-year-old to story time at your public library and see Mm -hmm. the seed library and all of a sudden this whole new world is open to Mm -hmm. you. So that's to me what's so magical about, you know, this little twist on... A very ancient practice of exchanging seeds in yeah. community. You say on the Hudson Valley Seed website, part of your parallel mission of uplifting not this the seed and the plant but the story and the narrative and you were just referring to this and I I think this is a growing aspect of the seed world and in, mm-hmm. in you know seeds of the African diaspora seeds of the indigenous uh, to North America and the cultural significance of seeds um, to these exact groups but also the story of that is held in seed for for anybody as well. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe talk about the starting of like when you and Doug took the leap and were like okay what like how did you get started and how did you build into the business model the idea that yeah there were multiple aspects to the work that were equally important not just the biological stewarding of these little life beings but all of the symbolic and metaphoric and mythologic uh, narrative that comes with them.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a carryover from being, a, you know, starting the seed library is you know, thinking mm-hmm. about the stories and also part of seed literacy, like you were talking about people come were coming into the library who'd never thought about seeds, like mm-hmm. at all, ever, you know, even if they went to the farmer's market, you know, it was just not part of consciousness. And the stories are really great, hook. They're a really good lead-in to people thinking more deeply about seeds and where they come from. Um, Mm -hmm. So when we turned into the Hudson Valley Seed Company, um, I didn't want to let that go because I think one of the big problems with industrial agriculture and the food system is the commodification of seed. Uh, And turning seeds into a commodity means not respecting it as a living being, um, not thinking about it as mutual care. Seeds care for us, so we care for seeds in return, but really just like boiled down to profit. Um, So, which is about, you know, primarily about yield and about how plants are shipped. So I didn't wanna let go of that piece, but we also were like, well, we're selling seeds and we're trying to make money. So where's that balance? How do we continue to share seed stories in an authentic way and not have it just be, you know, like marketing? Um, And so the first step for that really was making the decision to commission art for each variety. So each variety, the first year we had 14 varieties.
0: Give us an example (laughs) of some of them.
1: Uh, We had Long Island Cheese Pumpkin, um, which was a local... we had a lot more sort of local varieties but that was one of the that was one of the really popular ones so i wanted to commission artwork and have a different artist create work for each variety and what i was doing was telling the artist the story of the seed and then just letting them do what artists do artists are cultural seed savers they Mm -hmm. look at all of these different pieces of What helps us understand who we are and why we're alive and what we want and what our hopes are for the future. And they, you know, they rearrange all of those different aspects, all those elements that they collected into something visual that tells story in a way that is beyond words. It's an emotional way of communicating story and understanding ourselves. It's open to interpretation. So it's not telling someone what to believe or what to think or what the story is. It's allowing them to feel into it and to integrate themselves into that feeling of that story. Um, And so that was one of the ways that we wanted to keep the stories going um, and really continue to say, that saving seeds and sharing seeds is about cultural creation. And that what we're passing on isn't just the commodity of the seed or the biology of the seed. What we're passing on is all of these stories as well. And also, how do you become part of that story? When you plant the seed, you're growing a story. But at the same time, you're part of it because you planted the seed and you're witness to all of those years of co-evolution with humans before you you get to watch that unfold in your garden and you're caring for it right and so what you know what does that mean to be part of a story and what does that mean to be part of a story that is before you not your own and how do you care for a story that came into your hands and into your soil Um, That might be from a different culture, or a different part of the world, or ancestors that are not your ancestors. Um, And that's an ongoing conversation. Um, That is a really important one. Um, But the art has been that doorway into that conversation and allowed that conversation to continue to evolve over the years because we've continued to commission art. We have over 200 works of art at this point in the collection. That's still a really important piece of what, what we do and who we are as a seed company.
0: And it's just so rich. Uh, I, I, I can't tell you the first year that I saw the art packs, but just the, the, Treat of opening one of the packs, it was so beautiful in and of itself. And it kind of parallels that beauty that seed structures are, right? They are these little artworks in so many miracles. There's something Mm -hmm. about what you just said, and how you were describing the importance of commissioning the art to go with the seed and to help express or hold the story of the seed. And your first question about starting your business and how to hold that kind of unity of opposites um, of how do you steward these lives respectfully? How do you hold on to their narratives authentically and have a viable business? And it it is that is the act of re envisioning what our current economic structure is and trying to experiment with ways to re-envision it in a healthier way. Mm-hmm. What I see Hudson Valley Seeds as doing is manifesting the answer to that question of how do you do these things authentically and respectfully and still make a, a living by creating this circular economy. And part of that is the commissioning of the art, the expression of the story, the, you know, giving credit to a uh, cultural history that comes before so that it's not just appropriation and continuing the lives of these seeds forward. Give us, if you can, an an example from maybe that even that first year of how did you approach an artist with a seed and how did you share the story as you knew it and then what came back to you? Can you describe one of those interactions in that early iteration?
1: I think Cornell Bush Delicata is a really interesting story because it is a variety that was developed through a public breeding program at Cornell University in the organic breeding program by Molly, Molly John. There's a lot of different ways that universities handle developing new varieties. And most are focused on varieties that can be released widely, and that can have either some kind of patent or plant variety protection, or some way of controlling it, like, or a hybrid um, that people can't save seeds from um, and and have it grow true to type. Uh, So these different mechanisms of controlling the seed Mm -hmm. so that the financial investment in creating the variety can be protected and returned both to the university and to whatever seed company picks it up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas Bush delicata was through a public breeding program, which means they were creating an open pollinated variety. So as soon as they release it, they know anyone can save seeds from it. It'll grow true to type. Uh, and it's really a breeding program for. community for the betterment of farmers and gardeners and agriculture. So this variety was released um, through that program Uh, and at some point, I'm not sure exactly where, the the main seed producers, it uh, crossed with something that started uh, uh, affecting the texture and the taste because Cornell Bush Delicata is it's like a dumpling squash. They're they're small. Uh, they're tender. They're delicious. You can eat the skin um, as well. It's just like it's, it's such a great squash. And this particularly for home gardeners, because what Molly John did is she created a bush version of something that was a vine. So it'd be grown in a smaller space. Um, so it's good for smaller farms and gardeners. So I worked with Cornell. They had seeds from the original breeding program before Mm -hmm. it got crossed with something that was affecting it. So we restarted increasing the seed stock from the original line until we had enough to start sharing. So when I chose the artist, there was an artist you know, and I'm like a matchmaker with the the (laughs) artists or like the match.com of like the the seed world where I know what varieties I want to commission art for artists apply. And we just look at their portfolio. They don't know what the varieties are. And then I wait for that moment where I'm like, this artist needs to meet this plant. Like, I'm sure they're going to hit it off, you know, you know, and I put them together. So this the The artist for um, Cornell Bush Delicata, uh, When I saw her work, um, and uh, her name is Sarah Palucci Palucci. Um, so when I saw her work, it was very much focused on hands, and and the act of creation mm. or the act of making. So. You know, oil paintings of close-ups of hands playing guitar or carving. Um, and to me, hands are just like a really important piece of of seed lineage that the seeds we work with have been passed hand to hand to hand. And I had also interviewed Molly John about the process. And she was talking about um, using paintbrushes to collect pollen. Uh-huh. For the breeding process transferring pollen between the different varieties to work on creating this bush version of the delicata and i was like this is this is the match and so she created this work of and the, and from there you know i tell the story yes. and then i try and let go yes there it is i try and let go um and let the artists you know be themselves yes. um and i always tell the artists when this piece is done if it was put in a gallery i want people who know your work to say, that's Sarah Pelucci or that's this artist, I recognize them. You don't want them to change themselves into a botanic illustrator, you know? And we have worked with some botanic illustrators, but, you know, we work with all, all different folks. So she came up with this idea of having the hand with the paintbrush collecting pollen, but at the same time, if you look closely at the paintbrush, there's yellow paint on it too. So she's telling this story of the art of seed, of creating these varieties as an art form in process while representing some of the tools that it takes for this process to happen. So it's all contained in there in a way that I could never explain it exactly, right. you know, in a way but like you look at that and you're like, "Oh, like there's there's gardening, there's pollination, there's painting, all happening at the same time. It's all part of the same story of how these seeds came into our hands."
0: Love it. Love it.
1: Yeah, so it's a beautiful beautiful piece.
0: This is Cultivating Place. Ken Green is the co-founder of Hudson Valley Seed Company, known for their open-pollinated heirloom seed catalog and incredible art seed packs, combining original artwork telling the story of the seeds inside the packs. We'll be right back with Kay when he shares more about the importance of Hudson Valley's integrating of seed and art. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. So thinking out loud this week, last week, I mentioned the longer term project I've been immersed in for the past year or more, a project you will not see in its holdable, tangible form until at least the fall of 2023. But Ken Green and Seed and the heart of this conversation is very much a kernel of that project. As I listen again to this conversation I had with Kay and I reflect on his and the many other seed keepers work in our world, this from Kay is one of the thoughts that I am struck by. Quote, artists are cultural seed savers. They look at these different pieces of what help us understand who we are and why we are alive and what our hopes are for the future. And they arrange all of those pieces into something visual that tells a story in a way that is beyond words, that is emotional and up to interpretation, but allows for people to integrate and feel into the experience of it, reminding us that Saving Seeds is about cultural creation. That to my mind is what every one of you as gardeners or garden supporters are as well. You are artists providing life and sustenance to the world around you. You help to create the culture and the environment we want to live in and grow in together. Thank you for that. We're back now to our conversation with Kay Green, co-founder with his partner Doug Muller of Hudson Valley Seed Company, known for their open pollinated heirloom seed catalog and incredible art seed packs, which combine original artwork telling the story of the seed inside the pack. As we come back, Kay shares how Hudson Valley Seed Company's commissioning of original art to go with 12 of their seeds each year enriches their work on many levels.
1: One of the, like my happiest moments early on was I was doing some I can't remember if it was a garden show or a holiday show or something where I had a booth, and someone came up and said, "I thought that I hated beets." And I never grew them. And last year, I saw the artwork on your Brilliant Beet Blend pack. And I loved the art and I wanted the pack for the art. So I bought it. And then I thought, well, I have the seeds. I might as well plant them. And learned that there was a beat that she really liked because it was a mix of beets, you know, that's in there. And to me, I was like, I'm calling the artist right now because the artist got someone to try something new. It is, believe it or not, for most gardeners and farmers, especially farmers, but even gardeners, it's hard to get people to try new things. They like what they like, they know what they grow well, and and they often repeat that year to year to year, even though there's so much diversity out there. Um, the artists love it too when I when I let them know. I would bet. Yeah.
0: They are then the portal that yes. you you envision them being. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to the nitty-gritty of what it means to be a seed company, to grow seed, to select seed, to trial seed. At this point, how many people are on staff there and give us a little bit of an overview of your process in getting to your final list for seed each, each year?
1: Yeah. So the trajectory has been kind of, yeah, I can't believe, like I said earlier, I can't really believe where we are now. Cause when we started, it was just me and Doug. We opened up our first field with a broad fork. I mean, we were, we were idiots. We did not know how to farm. We did not know what we were doing, but we were like, we love it. We're working hard. Um, This feels right. Let's just go. So now we have close to 30 employees, 10 of which were new positions we added during COVID because the demand for seed went through the roof Um, and, and we had to, we really wanted to keep up and rise to the occasion, uh, understanding how important it was to continue to provide seed for people. Um, so a lot of our growth happened just in the last two years, although we've been growing every, every year since 2008. Um, and so those are our team, which they're just like, like I love everyone that, we get to work with but that's not just the farm you know that's sales and marketing and packing and shipping and and seed testing and all of that and then we also have our farm crew and actually it's right now it's two businesses so our farm is called fourfold farm which is okay. based on the shape of the seed pack. <laughs>
0: yes it is i love it yeah
1: and that's where about uh 50 to 60 percent of our seed production we do ourselves. Um,
0: How many acres do you have at Fourfold Farm?
1: So Fourfold Farm right now is three different farm properties ranging from uh, like three acres to 16, but it's not all in production because we rotate and there's cover crop and then there's some new, some of that is new soils that we're getting to know before we commit to growing. I think this year there were probably about 12 acres actively in in seed production. And the reason we have the satellite properties is partly because we outgrew our home business and our home little home farm here in terms of the catalog and the need for regeneration of seed, Um, but also because of isolation. So if we need to do more than one squash or more than one corn, we can't grow them in the same field because they'll cross-pollinate. So it's nice to have those kind of satellite farm properties. So, you know, that's the seed production side. Um, There were six people on our crew this year with moments where we needed to call in reinforcements (laughs) uh, on the farm for other things. And also we, you know, now we also do In addition to seed, we do garlic seed and dahlia tuber production and potatoes. And, you know, we've continued to diversify the catalog in terms of what people are looking for. So there's an excitement to that and a learning, a continual learning curve to that. We did more dahlia tubers than we've ever done this year. And it was spectacular when they're all blooming and it was like, you know, 15, 300 foot rows of like all these different varieties of dahlias. It was, it was really dreamy.
0: And that kind of brings me perfectly in our conversation to this idea, again, kind of mirroring the teaching of plants and this idea of generosity to your work in uh, collaboration and community with the larger seed world. Clearly you do quite a bit of sharing of information and taking part in this sort of seed knowledge Commons that is out there. Uh, there's a of course a, a large portion of the more commodified seed world that is fairly siloed and proprietary so not a lot of sharing but there is this really energetic seed Commons in our world and you are uh, one of the wonderful voices in it. So hearkening back to the beginning of our conversation, where we talked about the cultural nature and the stories of seed. I know you do a a little bit of collaborating around cultural seed. Do you want to talk about this sort of level of your work?
1: So we're very engaged in seed rematriation. Seed rematriation is, at least the way that I think about it, is there are many ways that people have been disconnected from their ancestral seeds. It may be because of diaspora. It may be because of genocide. It may be because of uh, land being stolen. It may be because farmers started believing that hybrids were better and more convenient and were giving them what they wanted. And so they stopped saving seeds that they had been saving for a long time and you know, switched over to the hybrids. Um, So there's a lot of different ways that we can become disconnected in that way. The seed erratiation work that we're involved in is really looking at the communities who have been really harmed by colonization and the seed industry. And the way that seeds were, again, back to treated as a commodity, there was this attitude from uh, colonizers and like the age of exploration that if you found something, you owned it. Whether that was a continent or a mountain or seeds and that you could just take what you wanted and profit from it. And so, there's a lot of different ways that 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 was done. So seed rematriation for us is this idea of looking at what seed is there and what cultures are close to home for us that have been harmed through those different um, parts of history and currently, and working cooperatively to grow those seeds, increase the seed stock so that either they're returning to their original lands and returning to the hands of their original people. It's hard to generalize about it because every partner we work with is different. Their story is different. How they were separated from their seeds is different. What seeds mean to them is different. um, And their sense of what it means to have someone from outside of their own culture Growing seeds with them is different. So we have to take each relationship individually. Um, And part of the reason you don't hear us talking about it a lot is because it's not about optics for us, it's not about marketing for us. We wouldn't want anyone to think that this work is, you know, is about like, virtue signaling or, you know, look how great we are. So it's a very quiet work. It's about respecting the relationships, um, which take a lot of trust and a lot of time to get to that point where you're working with the community who trusts you with their seeds and feels confident um, in the exchange. And it's also very much about centering the leadership and the knowledge of the communities that we work with rather than saying we know how to do this and we know what we're doing and we're going to tell you how to do this. So I am I try not to speak for the process that we're engaged in and allow it to be the voices of the people who really are at the center of the work. Um, But the other piece I would just add about rematriation that we learned early on well, first of all, you're going to bump into misunderstandings, cultural differences, triggers, and part of it is how do you work through that together? Mm -hmm. But the other piece that we learned early on was yeah, okay, great, we can grow 2,000 pounds of this corn and then say, here you go. But if there's no storage, for that, if there's no infrastructure for how to, to how to handle that, if there's no distribution system for how to get it into the community, if there's no one growing who can then take that seed forward, like what what have you really done? And so understanding what happens to the seed when it returns to community and making sure we're supporting everything that it takes and again, every community is different. Some are, are ready to go. Some have, don't have anything. So there's a reciprocity there that is really, really important to understand what's happening at home um, as well.
0: And the only reason that I know anything about this work is that Vivian Sansor, in her conversation with me, talked about her work with you.
1: Yeah, we worked on a gourd with her called Yachtin. The season that we worked with Vivian Sansor from the Palestine Heirloom Seed Library, we were also working with the Lenape Center, and we were working with a few people from the Mohawk community in Mm Aquasasne. That season was so fascinating because the plants were all growing near each other. So they were talking to each other. They were sharing knowledge. They were sharing the soil. (laughs) They were growing into each other. And there were moments when we had people from the different communities with the plants in the seed garden. And so, you know, part of the work, I think that's very healing, is the connections that were made in the garden through those relationships through that process it's really an honor to be able to engage in that that type of work and i just want to add you will not see those seeds in our catalog and we get asked that all the time when people do learn about the work oh now can i buy that Um, and that's an important piece of understanding seed rematriation all of the seeds go back to the home community. It's about seed sovereignty. The community gets to decide what is happening with those seeds. So we will never commercialize those varieties unless it's a request. And we did do that with Vivian. Vivian wanted the Gourd Yachtin to be part of our catalog. We commissioned artwork from a Palestinian artist. The story of the seed is written by Vivian. So it's all you know, centered in, in her voice and in her experience. And she really wanted to get the story out in that way so that people could understand and start the conversation about what's happening in Palestine through the art and the seed.
0: As we kind of come towards the end of the conversation and you, you think about this 23, 24 years, actively engaged as a seed grower, keeper, and much longer if you include all of the seed library work before that. What are your greatest joys in this world? And I think you've shared a lot of them, but maybe there are ones that you would would like to add in this work.
1: So I think that saving seeds is a joyful act and it has not gotten old. (laughs) for me at all. And I truly believe that it is important for gardeners and farmers to let something go to seed. Everyone doesn't have to be a seed saver. You're never going to save seeds from everything that you want for the next year. Choose one variety to really observe and be part of the full life cycle of that plant. Just let it be itself fully. I I think we can learn so much from that. There's so much joy in that. We are used to interrupting plants pretty early in their life cycle because we're hungry um, or we want it to be delicious or we want it to be beautiful in that moment. There's beauty in the full life cycle. There's beauty in the senescence of the plant when it's putting the last of its energy into the seeds for the next generation and letting go of defenses. Um, And so people look at that as the plant is not beautiful anymore or there's disease or there's pests. That's part of the life cycle. That's part of the beauty of that final moment of it's about the seeds now. I don't have to be, I don't have to have these defenses. so, I think it's a it's a powerful lesson in the garden and a joyful lesson. And as I age, uh, and as the people who have been part like I've grown up with in the seed community age, I think this idea of what, what are we passing on to younger people who, are starting a seed library, or starting a small seed company, or uh, saving—you know—any type of community seed initiative. What do we have to pass on? And not that I'm not doing my work anymore. Like I'm—I think I'm going to work until I fall over, you know, with the plants and the seeds. But but I'm finding more and more joy in passing on that knowledge and that inspiration uh, and knowing that there are more people engaged in seed work than there were when I started. And the more people we have and the more diversity of ways that we have of growing and sharing seeds, I will never tell anyone that there's one way to do it or a right way to do it. We need as much genetic diversity as we need diversity in how we grow and share seeds. So I think that's one of my greatest joys right now is, and I guess this goes back to the beginning, watching how that exponential increase that we see in seeds and that generosity that we see in plants of sharing their seeds is being echoed across the seed landscape Uh, even as we face really difficult challenges and we become more aware. um, Yeah, that's one of my most joyful moments that I come back to.
0: Thank you very much for being a guest on the program with me. It's been such a delight to speak with you today.
1: Thanks for having me. And likewise, it's been a really wonderful conversation. Thanks.
0: Ken Green is a seed person. He is the co-founder of the Hudson Valley Seed Library, which in 2004 became the first public library-based seed lending library in the U.S. In 2008, he and his partner, Doug Muller, co-founded the Hudson Valley Seed Company, focused on heirloom and open-pollinated vegetable, flower, and herb seed, as well as seed advocacy. Join us again next week when we're in conversation with Caitlin Galloway, who is on the planning and visioning team for a restoration project known as the Greenhouse Project in the San Francisco Bay Area. Listen in. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you. For beautiful images of the seed and art packs and seed folk who all combined are Hudson Valley Seed Company, head on over to cultivatingplace.com, where you can also support these weekly civil gardening conversations through the support button at the top of every page there. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, with tech and web support from Angel Hracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Don't hear Cultivating Place on your public radio station? Reach out to them and ask them to add Cultivating Place to their weekly programming. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.